Thank you, ladies. Looking forward to how the Lord will work at the retreat. We appreciate your service and your investment in the kingdom of God. It's a blessing to have you with us this morning. And it's a blessing to see everybody here this morning in the house of the Lord. As, as uh, Sam has mentioned, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with the saints, the redeemed. That's what we all have in common, is that Christ reached into our dark minds and turned on the switch. And now we see the truth of Christ in this world. Well, um, this morning, well, first thing I want to say is instead of waiting for the praise time, I want to kind of get it over with so I can concentrate. Uh, But um, yesterday, my wife and I celebrated 34 years of marriage. I can't tell you how much that means to me. I can't tell you how blessed I am. Uh, But all I can say is that, Lisa, you are on another level. (laughs) You are a daughter of kings. You truly are, and you are beautiful to me. That's why I have to get this out of my way, out of the way. So, uh, all right, 34 years to the side, and let's get to God's Word. This is supposed, this is a part two of a Father's Day message, but it's really for everybody. Um... It's for the family, and it's an explanation, I think, of, of God's view. What did God have in mind when he thought up husbands and wives and babies and children and teenagers and, and even our single years and all of the things that we experience in our lives? And there's a lot of confusion out there, and so I think that in a broad sense that this text will bring very needed help. I think it will bring very needed hope. And I hope it will bring just some clarification to all of us. So I want to just dive right in to our text. And we are in Psalm 128 this morning. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So I've entitled this sermon, When Men Fear God. That is a powerful statement. When men fear God, the most powerful thing is God. And then fear is a powerful thing. And men are designed to be a thing of power as well. When men fear God. The reason I think that this is for every family member, at least it starts out applying to all people, And then I think it's in verse 2, and then more specifically, verse 3, it transitions to God speaking to men. But we are all called to fear God, and that was the first part of this sermon, is that the blessing that comes to humanity at every level is when humanity fears God, and that fear, which basically means, uh, simply put, to take God seriously, to put God first. 
And when we make God the greatest priority in our lives, it trickles down and we walk in His ways. Our fear of God, our belief in God and trust in God, our value of God is displayed in how we walk and whether or not we are walking out in God's ways. God's ways are not the same as the world's ways. That's why the prayers for the girls' team that Satan's not going to like this. Satan has his own plan, his own agendas, his own ways that he wants to corral us to walk. But these are God's ways. And when we fear Him, it will show in our lifestyle. It will show when we're toddlers, little kids anyway, we all have a part to play. It will show when we're teenagers how we fear God if we fear God. All the way up to granddads and to grandmoms. And the idea here simply is, when every family member does its part, that's when the family is blessed with the peace and the harmony. It's not dependent on external circumstances. It's dependent on your fear in God, your determination to obey Him, and that's where the blessing of God comes. There's a blessing just in and of itself of a family unit that fears God and lives before Him and is determined in that way. So I want you to all see yourselves as having an important part to play. You are all team members in the family. There's responsibilities. There are relationships that need to be fostered. Uh, even the infants. Well, what, what do our infants do? What's their role? Be cute. Just be cute until you're old enough to obey. That's, a, that's an important role. Because that cuteness does something to our hearts. Those little babies, they put smiles on our faces. They keep them from being so twisted by the world and all the, the, the despairing things that happen. And then you see a little baby and you just smile. They do something. They do weird things to us. They make us do weird things, don't they? Because we want to see them smile. So then we get into... Um, Verse 2, kind of a transitional verse. It, it's, it's, you can see that the psalmist is about ready to apply things directly to men, but it still can be applied to all. And that is that God's blessing comes for those that fear Him and that one of the results is that it will be well for us. And that's that Old Testament phrase that we see often. And it basically means that our hearts will be full and satisfied. That's what God, God has the power, even in this broken, evil world, to take a person who fears Him and trusts Him and to give him a full and satisfied, him or her, a full and satisfied heart. There's a, there's a goodness that can still be experienced in this world. And God can do it. Full, that full, satisfied feeling. And one of the ways that that blessing comes is through family. Now, we had the guys retreat, as you know, and a lot of us had that full, satisfied feeling, thanks to Ferris, the chef, the guys retreat. We were sitting there with that full, full, satisfied feeling. I got on the scales last night, and three pounds. Three pounds in like two days. Thank you, Ferris. If the, I'm glad the guys retreat ended or you had to roll me home if it went on for another week. But there are just blessings in life that touch our hearts. 
and family with God being put first in the, and in the center can bring that kind of blessing because you understand what life is really all about. And when you're able to, to push to the side all the confusion and the brokenness that the world leads us astray with, then you get to the core of things and it matters and it touches our hearts, makes us full and happy. And that goes for each person. And as we play out a role, it says that our labors will bear fruit. There, there will be results. It, it matters. It counts the things that we do. How we honor our parents or not. How we love our husbands and wives or not. All of these things matter and make the family work in a way that honors God and blesses our hearts. It's a fruitfulness there. When I was looking at this <clears throat> psalm and thinking about fatherhood and parenting, I remember a phase of parenting that I went through where uh, I just, it, I didn't see any fruit in my parenting. And I was like, God, I'm trying to instruct. And it's not working. There's no fruit. I'm trying to be patient and take the time and morally train and reach the heart, all these things that we're supposed to do as parents. And it's not working. And I was so frustrated that I wasn't seeing the immediate fruit. And I don't know where the idea came from. I doubt it was from me because I'm not that creative. But somehow it popped in my mind. Maybe it was Lisa or something. But I was like, I want to see fruit. I want the promise that what I'm doing counts because it's hard. So I got an empty ball jar. And I took from our over, over, over supply of Y2K food, <laughs> which were dried beans. Way too many dried beans. The goats enjoyed them later. But for now, um, I took some of these dried beans and every time I instructed one of my children where I felt like, okay, I just obeyed God in this, I took a dried bean and I put it in the jar. And so I said, okay, God, I planted a seed. And I wanna, I'm trusting that it will bear fruit. And so whenever I did that, just to give myself some hope, I'd put another dried bean. It was up on the refrigerator. Another dried bean in the jar. Every once in a while I'd walk by them and I'd see those Dry beans, 10, 20, 30, it got into the hundreds. And it just was a reminder that as, as 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so that was my reminder that you don't always see the fruit up front. Matter of fact, some of the fruit of your investment in each other, fruit of these retreats, fruit in your family, you may die before it, it happens in a person's heart or life. You'll see it up there, but sometimes it takes a while. But the fruit for those that fear God and walk in His ways, it comes. And I don't know what happened to that jar of beans. I hope I didn't eat them at some point, but they are no longer on top of the refrigerator. The fearing God blesses. The work of our hands are blessed. So then in verse 3, you see where he's going, and it's just an obvious application of fearing God, and the, the, the fruit of your labors is aimed directly at 
men. So the way I want to approach this text to give us uh, kind of a big picture and bring clarity, I think very needed clarity when it comes to the family today, is I want us to consider four truths that just kind of ooze from the Bible when we look at how God uh, permeated the Jews, the, the, the Hebrews. He gave them a way to live. He gave them ways uh, to conduct a family, to worship Him. We, we know this. He, he gave them a culture to live by. And when we read the Old Testament, there just are four truths that I think come out that are very, very important. And... The reason I want to look at these things is because, as you know, our society is so confused about things that seem so simple or used to be so simple. It's like for, for me to even use certain pronouns or identifications of husband and wife or a family and how it should operate, it's like we almost, I could spend a sermon on defining my terms. So I, I don't want to do that. I want to just dive in and, and, and look at this. God's revelation. So as we think about family, the first thing I want to mention when you read the scriptures is you're going you're to know this, that children are a gift of God. That's God's divine revelation. He's telling us how to think about life, how to think about all that's happening. And one of the things we just have to know when it comes to family is children are a gift of God. The, the psalm previous to 128, that's in 127. Uh, verse 3. That's how we are to see children. They're a gift. They're not a potential gift. They're not a potential person. And this is so important. So we are to wrap our minds around when a, child, when a woman is pregnant, pregnant, expecting when a child comes into this earth, the whole process, it is a personal gift from God. It's not an accident. It is a divine appointment. That's how Scripture views children. That's not always how our culture views children. Our culture has given itself, the intellect, uh, in, intelligentsia has given itself permission to uh, ascribe value or not on children, to, describe, to ascribe worth or not even on personhood. Look up the personhood theory. We looked at that when we looked at Psalm 100 with our theme of beautiful things. Uh, humanity has given itself permission to be the authority of when and if you're a person and how much value you have. But I just we need to understand when it comes to divine revelation, how God looks at it and how we should look at it, children are a gift from God. And you are frowned upon if you did not share that attitude. Uh, the, the Israelites were forbidden to do as the pagan nations that... that they were forbidden to offer their children as sacrifices to the false gods. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you did that, you were to be put to death. You put a child to death in that way, you are to be put to death. That is wrong. That's not how we look at life and the preciousness of it. So just that fact alone is seeing every child is a personal gift. It's a personal gift to mom, a personal gift to dad, a personal gift to society and the communities that we live in. The children we have here with us this morning, they are personal gifts from God, divine appointments to New Covenant Fellowship. 
And we all can learn something and enjoy God through their lives. When in Egypt, the Israelites, they're in slavery, life is terrible circumstantially. doesn't get much worse than that, having the, to make the bricks and the straw and from the clay and so forth. And you have taskmasters over you. Life was terrible. And so what they did is they despaired and they decided that because life is so bad, there is no future, we should not bring children into the world under these conditions. You know that is not right. What did they do? I don't know how they did it. Because they worked hard all day, but they still had a spark of energy at night. They, They proliferated. The ladies had babies in the fields. In other words, they still understood God's blessing. No matter how hard life was for them. There was hope. There's a blessing in children. It's a gift from God. And so they just pressed on with their growing their families. And of course we know God used that because He's growing a nation. He's growing families that are growing into a nation that will bless the entire world. And it started with the family. Personal gifts of God. And by virtue of the Heavenly Father, they are of great worth. Before they do anything, they are of great worth. They don't have to earn the right to be a person, as our society says. Second thing that we see is that fathers played a very active role in instructing the children. You can't escape that when we read Scripture. Uh, The fathers were the, the impetus behind the godly instruction and the character training and pointing the children to the Lord. It was the father's Duty, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's aimed at dads. Let me read a scripture out of Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now this is profound. Because God supernaturally made himself known to Abraham so that Abraham can make God known to his family. So that Abraham can make God known to the children that he will bear and bring forth from generation. To generation. And we have children. One of the reasons and one of our duties is to make God known to these children. It's, it's the cycle that God has set. The economy of God. So that, and, and the result of this making God known and teaching and taking the time to instruct our children is that the result, it will be a blessing to all nations. Now, we know the ultimate blessing was Christ. It's fulfilled in Christ. That's why we worship Christ and 
hail the name of Christ in here. He is our all in all. But the means by which God brings light and goodness into the world is the people that walk in His ways. God's witnesses. God's light, the city on the hill. So God made Himself known to Abraham so that Abraham could make God known to his offspring. That's God's idea. The responsibility is God's. And we're going to look at these four, and then I'm going to apply them to this psalm. So third, children are not the center of the home. That's the other thing you notice about how God's instruction or definition and plan for the family is that though children are personal gifts, divine appointments from the Lord, they're not to be the object of worship. They're not to be the center of the home. They're delightful gifts, beautiful gifts, and yet the parent's duty is to train them to understand that you are a beautiful gift of God that fits into a bigger picture than you. Life is not just about you. You're here, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, and you are ultimately important, and you fit into the bigger picture of our family. Because we are also important to God. And mom and dad are your gift to you. Brother and sister are your gift from God to you. And so it's a unit. Life does not revolve around just that one individual or children. Matter of fact, we have to train our children away from the mindset of thinking that they are the center of the universe because that will come quite naturally. And when they're at that cute stage, it's easy to parent them as if they are the center of the universe because they're kind of too cute to discipline, right? They're too cute to correct. And then next thing you know, you have the cutest little monster you've ever seen. (laughs) So they learn to know God and honor God by first respecting their parents and honoring their parents. It's God's beautiful system. It starts way down here and just increases and increases the level of respect and honor. It's all part of the package. We we can't honor and fear. We're not honoring and fearing God if we're not honoring our parents and respecting our parents. So that's the training ground. That's the training camp there. If children, as soon as they can learn these things, it's God ordained. They fit into the structure. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Young men in the same way submit to those who are older than you. See, there's always somebody over us. That's the world that we come into and we fit into it. There's always somebody over us. And ultimately, no matter who is over you, God is over all. So the authority trickles down and God is over all. We all need to see our purpose and our place. So, Kids might think, man, mom and dad, they hold all the power. They're in charge. Well, God's in charge of them. The pastors have been given authority too. But every pastor submits to God. Every leader, every elder, every deacon submits to God and His Word. Children are not the center of the home. Let me comment on two more things in that point before we move on to the fourth. One of the things that our culture says is that there's this 
erroneous belief that we should just let our kids go so their personality, their true personalities and true character develops because if you discipline them or restrain them, you'll squelch who they were really designed to be. And that is just a terrible idea. You just let them loose and they'll turn out okay. That's called humanism. It's called not understanding human nature. And the Bible says that is so unkind for you to not restrict your children when you see evil in them. You know what evil is. You don't have to be a Christian to know what evil is. You know how destructive certain behaviors are. Your child has no chance in the world if you do not restrain certain things in them. And so that that coaching and that patient, loving training and teaching... Your kids have fears that will incapacitate them if they're not confronted. When they're just kids. And they're manageable. It's our job, it's our duty, and it's a way that we love our children by recognizing the things of the flesh that will destroy. Then you encourage the good things and the gifts that God has given. And the second thing I want to say under this point is that I, that, that I think we fall prey, not just society, but even the church, into putting all of the weight of the future on youth's shoulders. On kids' shoulders. You're the future of this nation. You're the future of this church. That's true in the sense that I'm going to die. And I can't do anything to help you when I'm dead. So you're going to outlive me. You're younger than I am. And so you're going to outlive me. But what it has come to mean is, well, the church is falling apart. The nation is falling apart. It's up to you to put everything straight. In other words, as a dad, I failed my job. I failed at my job and now the church isn't worth the hoot and the nation's not worth the hoot. So, son, you've got to do it right. That's not the pressure or the burden, that that's not where Scripture puts it. If you want change, if you want the church to thrive, if you want the nation to, you want things to turn around, you don't just hope that, that the kids do it right because you did it wrong and they're your hope. The hope is in the parents. The hope is in the dad to be a man that fears God. Because we're the ones that are bringing up the little olive shoots, as the psalm says. You understand that the pressure's on us. God designed us to determine the direction of these things. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. It's just the way it is. And you've got to deal with when you get old enough, well, you've got to be your own man and your own woman and deal with it in your own way. But this is the, what I establish here before God. And it's my duty to do this. It's not like I just leave it up to the next generation and, 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 and neglect my responsibilities, but that has what it, that's what it's becoming to mean if we're not careful. It's our responsibility. So goes the family. What's the saying? So goes the family, goes the church, goes the nation. Well, who's the head of the family? That responsibility, ultimately in the team effort, but God holds the man accountable for these things. And then fourth... The, the strength of the Christian family is understanding that even its unit is a part of something bigger. You have, all, you have a microcosm 
microcosm of the, the larger picture. And so as we do our part in our households, then we actually fit into other households. And we fit into a community that is also to do its part. It's always bigger than just the marriage, always bigger than just the family. And it's bigger than the church, because this church, because there's more churches. There's the church universal. And it, all of us fit into this big picture, beautiful picture that God has where all people of every nation will worship Him. We are a community of what makes us a powerful community is that we share the same values. We share the truths that God has enlightened our hearts to. So we do things different together. We do things different in our homes. When we come together as a church, we share the same values. We support each other in this, this fabric of truth and right and righteousness. So we're all a part of something bigger. A small family is a part of something huge. Each family is given a task. Each family has a station. Each family has a responsibility and ways that we are gifted and empowered to serve the Lord and His kingdom. And we are all just parts that fit into even the bigger picture, the body of Christ. We run our households for the glory of Christ. So let's just look at how these pictures fit, these big pictures or four points fit into our psalm. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your home. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So you, you picture a family unit, and there they are. The family's around the table. The table's an important thing, right? You have a table in your household. It's where you, the family comes together. Everybody's got to eat. The family comes together to eat. I don't know how important it is in your household, but growing up in my household, uh, the, the family table was a priority. Dinner was served at a certain time. You had to be there. You didn't have an option. Even if you weren't hungry, you needed to come to the table. Uh, the older we got, there was nine of us, and it was hard to, uh, to, to keep everybody in check. And we had different schedules and stuff, so it kind of fell apart. Um, but when we were young, you came to the table. Uh, there were rules. You had to have good manners. You had to wear a shirt to the table. It's to show respect. And my dad, being a fair man as he was, even the girls had to wear shirts to the table. So anyways, it's, it's an established thing. It's, it shows that it was a thing of importance. And so you have the man and you have his, his family is around the table. So the, the blessing is all trickling down through here because this man fears God. And he starts, these are the ideals now. The scripture often starts with the ideals and people get frustrated because they say, well, my family doesn't look like that or my marriage doesn't look like that and why don't you talk about real life of brokenness? Well, scripture doesn't always look at it that way. It holds up the ideal. God's the ideal. We're all to conform to the image of Christ. Who's the perfect man? Not John Wayne. Not Tim the Tool Time Taylor. Not Mrs. Doubtfire. The perfect man is Jesus Christ. The masculinity of God comes through the man Jesus Christ. That's who we look to. That's who we emulate. 
So we start with this. The wife, a fruitful vine, she gives you the, the blessings of God. That gift, that personal gift comes through by God's design. The woman, the wife. And we know in Scripture it's, it's a blessing to be able to bear children. It's something that we often take for granted. We just assume that we can bear children. It doesn't always work that way. It's a blessing. It's, it's a gift. And there are, as a result of this, that women have a longing. Most women have a longing of some sort to mother. And, and often to bear children. One of the, uh, a lot of our biggest law firms, I read about this recently, uh, th- there's a problem. These are the big, the big ones that are really making a lot of money, you know, the big lawsuits and so forth. And the problem that they're suffering through is because a lot of their top-notch employees and lawyers are women. And these are the overachievers. These are the women that, you know, you, you go to school with them, the girls, and they just get everything right. They're getting all the A's, and they can, they can do anything, and, and, and th- they know things that you didn't even know existed. They just are very capable people, and here they are. They followed their abilities, and they're at the top of law firms, making them millions. And then they see the biological clock ticking and they start to have second thoughts. And they have everything the world, they could, they could need in the world, everything the world has offered. They've achieved it by hard work. The biological clock is ticking and so they start to get an age where they leave. They leave the law firm, which means now the law firm is losing money because they need those smarts. They need that ability. And in this article it said about 43% of them leave to have children and don't come back. Now that's almost a 50% loss. Can you imagine in your workforce? That hurts. And so the law firms are like hiring uh, counselors and psychologists. They're trying to do everything they can. How can we keep you? The problem is that there is a decision that these very, very intelligent women are making. It's either my career or it's this. I mean, it's a limited time only. Isn't that interesting how things happen? Children are a gift and a blessing from the Lord. The wife, a fruitful vine. So we're getting into this imagery here um, in Scripture about the vine. And there, it's an agrarian culture. And whenever you talk about a harvest or the vine or grapes, this is, just means good things are happening. Happiness. God is providing for us. James Boyce says, the psalm is a promising the psalm is promising that however hard the day today work in the fields may be for a laboring man to come home to a good wife is somewhat like coming home to a harvest it's time to forget the hard summer work and enjoy God's bounty women have that effect a good wife has an effect you can't wait to get home it's a harvest it's a refreshing grape spring that refreshing now, Tony Evans, and I'm not going to even get into it because I'm looking at my clock here, but Tony Evans, Pastor Evans, has real fun with this when he's describing an, the, the wife and the vine analogy. And he says, the wife likes to cling, because that's what vines do. 
And once they find something good to cling to, they like to climb. And then they cluster. So let me just read a little bit. Because what uh, a vine makes you happy. And gentlemen, before a vine can grow, it's got to have the right atmosphere. Men, don't expect a summer wife if you bring home winter weather. Adore her. Build her up. Love her. Serve, out-serve her, he says. You want to create an atmosphere where your wife will thrive? You out-serve her. Then we have olive shoots. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So God gives the plants. These are shoots. They're the beginnings. He doesn't give you trees. Full-grown trees. He gives you the little shoots. Now, what do you have to do with the little shoots? You've got to train them. You've got to nurture them. Uh, by the way, um, a three-year study was done talking about olive trees. Maybe not a coincidence. A three-year study was conducted um, on three of the olive trees located in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jerusalem. It's shown that their trunks and branches are around 900 years old, making them among the oldest known olive trees. These trees, they don't produce fruit right away. Or, or the, the precious olive oil that's even expensive to these days. Uh, it takes a while. It takes many, many years. I think it's up to 30 years before they produce, mature enough to produce that. But then once they get started, they can produce and bear fruit for hundreds and hundreds of years. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, so God gives us shoots to raise to maturity, to be fruitful, to be fruitful for God's kingdom, to serve Him, to honor Him, to know Him, to love Him, to respect Him, to be a, a people that fit in as a witness to this dark and broken world, people that know these things, the basics of Scripture, the primary source of instruction to build character and knowledge in the children that God gives us, the fathers. When you look at Scripture, that's where it is. Of course, mom's an important part. You can't do it without mom. I know I can't. It's a team effort by all means, but the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the fathers. You don't have to have a degree in science. You don't have to have a degree in math or technology. But you have to know God well enough to be able to teach Him and your children how to know Him and Love Him. It's the character. It's the heart of the human being, the soul. It's what makes us happy. It's what makes us thrive. And God has put dads in a position to nourish that. And it can get sour and mean if it's not nourished in a proper way. And isn't it interesting in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, I won't read all nine verses for the sake of time, but he says that you may know and fear the Lord your God and you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and commandments that I command you. And then he, he goes on to um, say you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You get the point? 24 7. That, that's the beauty of the family. You have your kids 24-7. 
And you can use every opportunity of living life to teach them about God and His ways. The beautiful thing that the Lord has done. We homeschooled, and I tell you what's more exhausting than teaching the academics? Character training. Boy, you're going to work for your money with character training. It's hard to train things out of our children and to train good things into them. It is hard, but it's crucial. It's not an option. Now, whose job is it? If you see a church falling apart or society falling apart, where does society trace it back to? Well, anything. They blame shift. It's everybody's fault but your own. Where does God trace it back to? To the home and ultimately to the dad. So when you see a lack of godliness, you see a lack of morality, inner character, the fix is this. It's where it starts. That's the fix. And it's not the government's job. It's not the youth worker's job for our children to know God and to be self-controlled and trained and walk in the ways of God. It's not the church's job. It's not your teacher's job. It's the job of the family, and that rests on... So if we don't see these things, and we understand God's Word, we know how it works, we know what the remedy is. It's not what the, all, the world says, it's what God says. The remedy is, men that fear God. We close with this verse, just to give us an idea how important it is. And it's in Malachi, you probably knew it was coming, chapter 4... Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In God's economy, look how important this relationship is. Hearts need to be strong and pointed towards each other. And this is how it is accomplished, these this vine and the olive shoot, it's a biblical symbol of the abundant life, the, the happy, satisfying, joyful life. You want stronger churches? You want happier hearts? You want a better world to live in? Now you know how God does it. It's when men fear God. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.